right, here we go. Episode 16. Let's make this a good one. Let's make this one the best one yet. Da-da-da-da, the best one yet. I actually recently realized that a few years ago, my friends gave me the nickname Pinball. And I never really liked that nickname, never really had a nickname, uh, but I understand. It's because I jump from topic to topic and I go on many different tangents and Pinball is the perfect nickname. Now, nobody calls me that anymore and nobody ever should, but if you've listened to any of the first 15 episodes, you probably get it. So today we're going to jump around to a bunch of stuff. And if you like what you hear, hey, drop a review on iTunes. Why the hell not? You can also follow me on Twitter at jrosenberg957. And Twitter never ends, people. Isn't that a weird thought? Twitter is never going to end. As long as planet Earth is around, Twitter will keep streaming the thoughts of the people you want to follow. I think you realize that, though. That was not a big revelation. However, in a weird way, it would be kind of cool if Twitter just stopped. Just stopped. And everybody said, we're done with this. We're done tweeting. Twitter can be as enjoyable as it is annoying. And I don't even really have to get into that. But what I will get into right now is reading. Reading is fundamental. Remember that old NBA slogan? But reading was always something that I dreaded as a kid. I never really enjoyed it. Throughout high school, it was torture. All of these books that were supposed to be classics, they didn't feel like classics. It just felt like homework. From the Great Gatsby to the Grapes of Wrath. Anything that was assigned, it was just like, give me the Cliffs Notes already. I'm not enjoying this James Joyce Dubliners. I'm not appreciating this Mark Twain that was assigned. But nowadays I do enjoy reading because there's something out there for everybody. That's what I say about podcasts. It's almost like you cannot say I don't like podcasts because then the challenge is for me to find one that fits you. Same with reading. Nowadays, if somebody says they don't enjoy reading, I'll say, yeah, you probably can find something that you want to read about. You just have to search, cater it to your needs. So this is a weird way of getting into Seau's The Restaurant. But in San Diego, there was a great sports bar and grill owned by the great Junior Seau in Mission Valley. And I used to go a lot. I remember the first time I ever drove on the 8, the highway running east, West in San Diego, just seeing the big Seau's logo, thinking that is a place I want to go. And I arrived in San Diego in 1999, and that's when that sports bar and grill was popping. They had fresh sushi, like an actual sushi bar. They had a pizza oven, delicious, great burgers, full bar, two levels, the biggest television I've ever seen in my life. It was like a movie theater sized TV showing all games at all times. And this is before it was popular to have like the NFL package or the NBA ticket. So you had to go to Seau's on Sundays to see all the games, or you had to go to Seau's during March Madness to see all the games. This is before TBS, TNT, True TV, and all of the channels outside of CBS were showing the basketball games. So not to date myself too much, but Seau's had a purpose, good food, good drinks, good people. And the big guy junior himself would make frequent appearances So it was not just like he put his name on a restaurant. He was actually running the joint. And it was connected to Mission Valley Mall. Now, Mission Valley Mall, once you enter, there was a bookstore. And the idea of hanging out in a bookstore when I was growing up sounded boring. Boring. However, after a few cold ones, hanging out at Seau's in college, I actually found this to be a fun activity. Go into a bookstore and just explore. See what you find. And as my sports radio career began, I realized 
I want to start reading about sports. So I would start buying books, the Joe DiMaggio book, the Hank Aaron book, the Willie Mays book. And I realized that the sports section in a bookstore grows and grows and grows because more and more athletes want to tell their story behind the scenes, the tell-all memoir, life in the locker room, life in the clubhouse. And these books were phenomenal. A lot of them had a ghostwriter. So even though it would say, you know, Beyond Belief by Josh Hamilton, in little letters you would see who was really writing it. Those ghostwriters, they're kind of the heart and soul behind these sports books. Not to say a bunch of athletes are dumb and can't write their own books, but aren't I saying that? Yes. Yeah, I kind of am. So for years, I would read only sports books, sports biographies, sports stories, And that's why my bookshelf today looks like I'm a true fanatic. And I'm a sports fan, but my bookshelf looks like I'm a one-dimensional motherfucker. However, I discovered the comedy section, the humor section. So this became my routine. I would go to Seau's a lot during college and after college, and then stumble around the bookstore and usually make a purchase. Now, the first time I remember picking one of these books from the humor section, it was the Jay Moore book. Jay Moore who a lot of people might know from his years at Saturday Night Live, or he was in Jerry Maguire. He's a stand-up comedian. He had a sports radio show as well. Jay Moore, either you know him or you don't. M-O-H-R. Why did I spell it? I don't know. But one of the biggest laugh attacks I've ever had in my entire life was in the Jay Moore book. It's a weird feeling to have a laugh attack while reading in bed. Usually a laugh attack while you're watching a movie or a TV show. Or having a conversation with a friend, that's normal. But just reading and then laughing very hard, I think that's as fun as a laugh attack can be. I mean, the kind of laugh where you just can't stop. Tears, boogers, that kind of laugh. So I'm going to now read the excerpt from the Jay Moore book titled Gasping for Airtime, Two Years in the Trenches of Saturday Night Live. And I vividly remember buying this book even before I had a bookshelf, not realizing that this would be the beginning of me going for every single comedian book for the rest of my life. But Jay Moore tells a story that was told to him by Adam Sandler. And in the book, Jay describes Adam talking about being a young actor on the set of Mr. Belvedere. Apparently, Adam Sandler had a tiny role on one of the episodes of Mr. Belvedere. Who's like a big, fat British nanny. This guy is just a big, fat British nanny for Bob Euchre's family. If you've never seen Mr. Belvedere, once again, this reference will fall flat. The ink's on the china. It ever seen it before. You know the show. Or you don't. Okay, so this is straight from the book. I even looked it up. Adam had a small part on the show Mr. Belvedere early in his career. On his first day, everyone was sitting at a huge table waiting to start the read-through of that week's show. The old guy who played Mr. Belvedere had not shown up yet, so everyone was drinking coffee and talking until he arrived. Finally, Mr. Belvedere walked in, in a sweatsuit and a matching monogrammed attache case. When the old guy took his seat, he sang out, Good morning, everybody, like a British Ted Baxter. As he took a load off, he apparently sat on one of his testicles. With his nuts scrunched under his leg, he screamed, Ooh, and had to be carried out on a stretcher. (laughs) I'll just paraphrase. Mr. Belvedere sat on his own nuts and passed out because of the pain. And the medics had to come in and take the old guy off on a stretcher. Even though I have now discussed this twice, I will say it one more time. Picture Mr. Belvedere late to the read through 
All of the other actors are around the table with their scripts, and in walks Mr. Belvedere. He just tries to sneak in, right, wearing his sweatsuit, and he must have sat down with such gusto that one of those balls slipped under his thigh, and boom, the pain was too much. This is the type of anecdote I really enjoy. However, the sad part is this story was disproven. Apparently, the person who was really at the read-through said Adam Sandler was never there. And here's what really happened. But I don't care to give you the truth. That's exactly the truth from the Jay Moore book. But here's why I'm deranged. Because even to this day, I start thinking about that story. Sometimes my mind will be blank and all of a sudden I'll just picture Mr. Belvedere sitting on his own balls and passing out. And needing to be taken off on a stretcher while all of the other actors look on in disbelief and horror. Realizing, oh, there won't be a read-through today. Hopefully we can even film this episode at some point. How long is he going to be out? You know, that's a lot of questions you need to answer. If you feel like that story is insignificant and should not be written about, then maybe avoid the humor section. But there's still a book for you. All right, all in all, just talking about Seau's The Restaurant, I do want to mention Seau The Person for a moment because it was six years ago, May of 2012, that he committed suicide in one of the most awful stories I've ever been a part of. And when I say been a part of, It's because I was on the air during the story. And I'll never forget this show because we were out of the studio. We were on the USS Midway doing our talk show. And it was a big day for college basketball because the Aztecs were going to welcome Syracuse to San Diego for the Battle of the Midway. This is when they thought it would be cool to play a few basketball games outdoors on ships. Turned out to be a really stupid idea because the wind, they forgot about the wind factor, would blow the ball all over the place. But still, the build-up to this game was awesome. The Aztecs were rolling. Steve Fisher was rolling. Syracuse was Syracuse, led by Jim Beheim. And my producer texted me that morning, we have Jim Beheim on our show. And if you don't know the name Jim Beheim, he is a legendary college basketball coach. Legend. And we had him booked on our show for the midday show. He was going to join us in person. He was ready to give us a full half hour, two segments with Jim Beheim. Oh, it was going to be a day to discuss college basketball. Not at all. So as our show is beginning, you know, everybody's kind of getting set on the midway. There's going to be a speech. It seemed like a very regal affair. The Syracuse staff, the Aztec staff, the whole city was there. And then a local reporter by the name of Jay Paris, who worked at the North County Times newspaper, he sat down next to me and he looked sad. Really nice guy, really gregarious personality, friendly cool guy. He looked very sad and he just sat down next to me really close and he slid me a note as I'm on the air talking about the Aztecs in Syracuse and the note said Junior Seau just killed himself. And I think he went to me because he was probably thinking, hey, I like these radio guys. Let me help them out. Let me give them a scoop. But of course, I didn't immediately say it. I wanted to verify that huge story. So when we went to the commercial break, Jay Paris was just nodding his head like, yes, This is real. This just happened today. And they found Junior Seau dead. Gunshot to his chest. No note. Actually, I don't think a note was ever written. But they interpreted it that because he shot himself in the chest, they said he wanted his brain to be studied. CTE was the likely result. And I know it was just agony for the fans, for the family, for the rest of the show, for the rest of the week, for the rest of the month. 
to this day for a lot of people. The idea that Junior Seau, who was the biggest living legend in the entire city when I was down there, killed himself. And there was no bigger story in my years doing sports radio down there. And I'll never forget the big show I was looking forward to, Jim Beheim. He still sat down with us and we had to do the interview. And we even interviewed Steve Fisher. And all of it felt insignificant. None of it mattered anymore. And soon, you know, our producer's like, all right, enough. We're not doing college basketball talk. We're going to definitely talk about the Junior Seau story. It's odd how fresh this is all in my memory, but that's six years ago, May 2012. And of course, the NFL has had many brain issues, the gridiron greats. And of course, the NFL has dealt with a lot of brushback and lawsuits and other suicides, but none quite like this. None quite like Junior, who was the biggest name, the biggest personality. You know, he was in the spotlight and happy to be there. Community outreach, you know, happy to help with the underprivileged children throughout San Diego. And the fact that his life went down such a miserable path, I feel like the NFL finally had to wake up. Have they woken up? No, of course not. They love to sweep this type of shit under the rug. But the Seau story, I really do think that that had a pervasive impact throughout people in San Diego when it came to, wait, do I want my kids playing football? Should we really try to understand what a hit to the head does to a kid who's playing Pop Warner or even high school football? You look at high school football right now, 10, 20, 30 years from now, there's not going to be as many programs in the country. Not to say it'll be extinct one day, but you're going to see more and more parents holding their kids out. Because sadly, I think you are going to see more and more stories like Junior Seau. Just these guys who gave it all on the field, and then they develop these type of brain issues that cause the kind of depression I couldn't even fathom. I know it's a dark way to start this podcast, but had to discuss it. And then just to loop it back to the restaurant, I ate there that night. After the Aztecs and Syracuse game, or was it the night after? I forget. And the quality of food just deteriorated, I guess, obviously. And then a few days later, they just closed down forever. I guess they were in a bunch of debt. I don't even know what's there anymore in Mission Valley. But if I ever drove by the Mission Valley Mall, I would just see it in my head. That was like my favorite place to go hang out. Seau's, the restaurant. All right, here's some things I believe. My truths. Are they proven? No, not at all but I believe them as if they are proven. So once again, here are some things I just believe in my own warped mind. I don't ever need to see a survey, a study, evidence. I'll just always believe these things. Uh, number one, takeout food at restaurants, always smaller portions. This is true, always. It's a great restaurant scam. You order a lasagna to go from an Italian spot, it's gonna be a smaller lasagna guaranteezy big cob salad from a big restaurant to go they're going to give you the worst of the worst the scraps the tiniest cob you ever get i now have a fear of takeout i'm compelled to dine in that's barely interesting but here's another one of my truths follow me follow me on this one uh, enemies are always made of similar people so i'm not saying if you hate somebody and they don't hate you back that's not enemies or if someone hates you and you don't hate them back, that's not enemies. Enemies, two people that truly hate one another. I have found in my own unscientific studies that these are always similar people. I've seen it too many times in families, in groups of friends, in high schools, in colleges, in professional settings. Most of the time, two people that absolutely hate each other's guts are kind of the same person. And as I'm saying this, you're picturing either somebody that you're enemies with and denying this and going, no, I'm not. 
or you've seen it before and you fully understand what I'm talking about. Maybe in your family, somebody doesn't get along with somebody and you go deep down, they're the same person. I think I've seen it way too often to even question this. This is a truth, a truth of mine. Enemies are always similar people. Uh, Number three, dogs were designed, God's creation, dogs were designed to look like they are laughing when they're panting, when they're out of breath. I truly believe God designed dogs to look like they're smiling and laughing when they're out of breath and panting. Dogs don't sweat, right? They just start panting. (sighs) But it looks like they're laughing, which is further proof that dogs are better than humans in so many ways. Think about the reactions of people who lose their dogs who have to put their dogs down. The level of grief and the level of mourning that you see a lot of the time from people that have had to say goodbye to a dog or put a dog down, it rivals that of humans for sure. There's a connection there. I was walking my dog recently and I heard over a balcony this older woman say, Muggsy, Muggsy, is that you? And I looked up and I said, yeah. And it turns out it was this lady I used to see on my dog walk schedule every morning. And I haven't seen her in about a year. And that's because her dog Gunner died. And as I said, how's Gunner? She started crying right there on her balcony. And she said, don't get me started. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to hear that. But her reaction right there was just like, oh yeah, dogs are the source of joy in so many people's lives. It's kind of easy to understand too. They're always in the moment. They don't hold a grudge, right? Your dog doesn't hold a grudge against you. You could do the most embarrassing shit in front of your dog. The next day, he's just like, hey, it's good to see you in this moment. Dogs do not need guided mindful meditation to be in the moment. They live in the moment and it's contagious. That's why having a being like that around is healthy. I couldn't imagine living without one. Although mine is really annoying, I still feel the medical benefits of owning one. Uh, Another one of my truths, uh, nobody ever in the history of singing sang like Freddie Mercury. You don't even have to be a Queen fan, but if you ever just want to see this man play his vocal cords like an instrument, check out the 1981 full concert Queen live in Montreal. Are you going to do it? Probably not. If there's anybody in this listening audience right now that said, hey, thanks for the recommendation. I am going to spend an hour and a half watching Queen live in Montreal from 1981 on YouTube. You will thank me. And I'm serious. You don't even have to be a Queen fan. I think sometimes people just associate Queen with the stadium jams. We will rock you or we are the champions, which are fine songs. But that's not it. You listen to Freddie sing Somebody to Love, Killer Queen, Under Pressure. Nobody in the history of singing has this kind of range. And I mean it. I don't even have to pretend like I understand what I'm talking about. I don't even have to show you my Simon Cowell credentials. I have ears. And I've heard some great singers throughout my life. I've heard great singers. Whitney Houston was great. Adele was great. Sam Cooke, great. Ray Charles, great. Frank Sinatra, great. None of them even come close to Freddie. And I almost feel like he's a step behind where he should be in terms of honored legends. I feel like we talk about Elvis quite a bit, the Beatles quite a bit. But there's never been a singer like him, and Queen is truly the greatest band of all time. If you really get into all of their songs, you can hear everything. You could actually hear how they influenced everything. Punk rock, Queen. Heavy metal, Queen. Hip-hop, Queen. Alternative, Queen. Just beautiful, slow love ballads, Queen, 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 Queen. It almost looks fake when you watch Freddie Mercury sing, because you can't even believe that the heavens have parted and allowed a voice like that. 
to come down upon your ears. This is a little too much, right? Should I ease up off the brakes on that one? But it's just one of my truths. There are certain people on planet Earth who are just a lot better than the others when it comes to a craft or a skill or a talent or a gift. That's Freddy. And my final truth I will share. It's true to me is that Americans should take a gap year after high school, before college. I did not do it. None of my friends did it. And nobody really does it. But a gap year to do some community service or volunteer work. Even when I say things like community service or volunteer work, people groan. I've noticed this because it's mandatory. At the high school I work at, students have to put together 40 hours total of community service, volunteer work. And most of them don't love it. It's just like, oh, how do I get this shit done? Oh, I still have 17 hours. People dread it. We need to change the mindset when it comes to this type of stuff because a gap year could be a time to grow. Think about that time in a person's life. They're immediately ready to enter the wild, deviant world of hardcore partying. A lot of people, when they get to college, it's not, hey, how can I further myself with wisdom and knowledge at this academic institution? It's, where's the red cup? Where is that keg? What can I experiment with? And that becomes the norm. When a lot of people picture where they want to go to college, let's be honest, the party scene plays a role. And let's also be honest again. You can party at really any college outside of BYU, but I bet they're still partying at BYU. It doesn't matter if you're going to an Ivy League school or a little Jesuit school. People are partying their asses off. Why? Because they're 18 years old and away from home. That is the biggest waste of money. John Mulaney even did a bit on that. A lot of college is a huge waste of money. But what if Americans, young Americans, took a gap year to actually further themselves, make an impact in their communities? Doesn't even have to be their own community. Just pick a community. Make it a better place. Learn how you can help. I know this sounds overly serious, but there is a program in place set up by my good buddy Josh Friday. And he put Dominican University in touch with Novato High and Samarin High. And any seniors who want to do community service can get this big scholarship. And I was talking about it with Josh. And I was thinking, yes, this is exactly what we need in this country. Not to say I frown upon partying. I love, love the nostalgia of great college party stories. However, how many people really look back on that year and say that was worthwhile? Happy I did all of that. Instead, maybe just delay the process a little bit, allow a little bit more maturation to come through, and then, boom, you might be ready to embrace college and really utilize all the tools of college. I didn't. I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say San Diego State really furthered my learning. No. You observe an intern to really become a professional. What did I major in journalism? Did San Diego State make me a great journalist? Absolutely not. Doing Learning by doing, that's the key. Networking, meeting people, becoming a part of a community. I think a gap year would be dynamite, Jimmy Walker. However, I should say this. Journalism today, I feel like more people need to defend it. It's so easy to just pile on this whole fake news bandwagon bullshit. There's a lot of good journalism today. There's so many people who are skeptical and cynical, like overly skeptical and cynical, like, oh, those writers are just feeding you that right-wing bullshit. Or I wouldn't read a lefty rag like that. So many people are so upset about journalism today. You can find some quality journalism still. I know everybody says newspapers will be extinct. Yeah, but good news reporting will never be extinct. It's a part of a good democracy. I think there's enough free thinking, free will people out there that are ready to uncover truths 
truths like Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer of all time. The big truths like dogs were made to look like they're laughing. The big truths like takeout food from restaurants, always smaller portions. This is the type of stuff that needs to be revealed to the world. And there are still great young reporters. How do I know that? I'm a journalism teacher. I have some kids in my class that could be working for the LA Times right now. I have some gifted ass writers. Didn't need the word ass right there. Let me retract. I have some gifted writers. I do. And I think journalism being under fires because there are a few bad seeds. There are a few people putting out inaccuracies or in the clickbait generation, people just put out scintillating gossip, hoping it gets clicks and clicks and clicks. But if you want to find quality journalism, you still can. All right, here's how I'm ending today. I was in a meeting recently. I have freshmen. I teach freshmen at Novato High, a class called CCR, College and Career Readiness. And one of the activities we did is to Google yourself. Go take a look. What's your digital footprint? So I met with some instructional coaches and we put together a big day of activities and assignments all based in what you are putting out there about yourself and how it could potentially hurt you with a future employer. You know, a lot of these kids today, these kids today, they just put out anything on Twitter and Snapchat, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Friendster, MySpace, all the apps, even comments, you know, under a YouTube video, comments that could be traced back to you. So the idea of being a 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old and really understanding the magnitude of a tweet or a post on Instagram that could be made public to really understand the impact that that could have on your future. It's a lost on them. Of course, they don't think like that. So that was our job that day. We met about it. And then I was told about a website called waybackmachine.net where even if you think a website is dormant or not running anymore, you could still find old websites, waybackmachine.net, I believe. So the guy who was running the meeting, he's like, does anybody know of a website that doesn't really exist anymore? And I was like, yeah, one of my previous radio stations. And I just said it and he found it immediately. And I looked at this website, and there it was. We had personality pages, and we would play the click game. Click my page. Hey, please, click my page. And this was a radio station that loved girls in bikinis, girls jumping on trampolines. Very chauvinistic website. You know, but that was the time. How do we get clicks? Girls in bikinis. Guys like sports. But we were all required to have a page to either blog on or put up videos or pictures. So I blogged once a week. And I went back to this website. I went way back in the Wayback Machine. And I found a blog entry that I'm going to share because it hit me in the corazón, in the heart. The last place I lived in San Diego was in Mission Valley. And Mission Valley is one of the areas of San Diego that has no character. It's just strip malls and apartment complexes and Qualcomm Stadium. I was able to go on dog walks to Ikea and Costco. Nobody would vacation to Mission Valley. People go to Del Mar, La Jolla, North Park, PB, Ocean Beach. But I was in Mission Valley and very happy. Why was I happy? I'll explain. I had a pretty comfortable situation. Moved into a one bed, one bath that actually said no dogs allowed, but the landlord didn't live there, so I snuck a dog for eight years. And I had some really weird neighbors. The guy above me, he would have loud, violent sex throughout the night, and it would wake me up. And he actually gave me his phone number and said, if I'm ever having loud, violent sex, please call. You know, as if he was being considerate. Just call. Just call. I'll stop. And I actually did a few times. But that's another story for another time. And then the lady next to me, I think she was about 152 years old, and her dog's name was Josh. So I would just hear her screaming in the morning, Josh! 
Josh, Josh. And it wasn't me. But the first few months, I thought it was me. And it was really scary. She was the oldest woman in the world. And her dog was also very old, very old. And his name was Josh. A dog named Josh? That sounds weird, right? It's not a good dog name. Okay, but here's why I enjoyed Mission Valley. And I completely forgot about this blog post. It's from 2011. And I wrote, it's a sad day in Mission Valley, California. I just saw the moving truck arrive. Ruben and Sandra Martinez are leaving. And yes, they're taking Fat Boy with them. Fat Boy is an 11-year-old English bulldog who's 98% blind, 100% aggressive, and smells like a dumpster. I love Fat Boy. They're headed to 70th Street, right by San Diego State. I know it's just a few miles away, but I'll miss them. I probably won't see them a lot. I've lived in my current apartment for five years. I only know that because my dog is five and I got him soon after I moved in. I'm actually not allowed to have a dog, but my landlord doesn't live here and I'm confident they'll never read this blog. Hey, I just told you that. Uh, back to the blog. More importantly, Ruben and Sandra have been my next door neighbors for about a year. It's been a nice year. Actually, they may have lived in my complex for more, but I've never seen them until Ruben went on disability from his job. You remember that story, right? Ruben coordinates termite inspections at restaurants and other businesses, so one day he had to fill in for one of his employees, and on that day, wouldn't you know it, an industrial refrigerator fell on him. He had to go to the hospital, but he survived. So I immediately met him as he was rehabbing his leg in our community gym. Ruben wanted to talk sports, and sports, and more sports. Ruben is the biggest sports fan in America. He told me that his nephew is a huge Tiger Woods fan and would do anything to see him live. Coincidentally, I had two passes to the Farmers Insurance Invitational at Torrey Pines that exact weekend. I couldn't go, so I gave them to Ruben. He reciprocated by bringing me fresh homemade salsa, ceviche, and tostadas, along with tacos, soups, and seafood for the next 365 days. Ruben and Sandra are the greatest cooks I know. Their salsa is the best. It's better than anything I've ever tasted at any restaurant. They are not familiar with the terms mild or even medium. Their salsa goes from hot, extra hot, painful, see a doctor, your day is ruined, find a toilet, to I think I'm blind. My tongue has taken a beating, but I've built up a tolerance to handle about a half ounce of the salsa every week, even though he brings uh, almost more salsa daily. Those golf passes meant a lot to Ruben. He said his nephew had the best day of his life. I'm happy because I got to meet the best neighbors I've ever known. Ruben and Sandra are both 50 years old, and they're already grandparents. They have five kids and zero debt, as he likes to tell me. They're from Salinas and started dating when they were 14 years old. It's a true love story. Ruben played high school football against Ron Rivera, set county records in high school basketball, and was drafted by the California Angels when he was an 18-year-old shortstop star. He couldn't play professionally because he was too busy starting a family. A great family, I might add. He consistently beats me in horse... I haven't seen a jump shot like that since the days of Craig Hodges and John Paxson with the Bulls. And I'll miss losing to Ruben in hoops, challenging myself with their salsa, and smelling fat boy as I walk past their patio. I'll miss the Martinez family. I never would have remembered that. It's funny that our memories have so many holes, so many gaps. But it's true, for about a year, this guy would bring me salsa every morning. And I would eat it, of course. But what I didn't write in that blog is one night he said, I'll be out of town, can you watch Fat Boy? Little did he tell me, Fat Boy attacks. He was a blind bulldog, but he still attacks. So I went in, tried to feed him, and the dog absolutely jumped over a chair, came at me, and I ran out of there and texted him, I'm never going back in there again. It was a very scary moment, folks. Very scary. And Ruben said, oh, it's okay. 
He said, Fatboy probably doesn't actually need food. He has enough insulation where even if you didn't feed him, Fatboy was going to live. And I said, why didn't you tell me he was violent? And Ruben said, oh, uh, I forgot. By the way, I forgot is a great answer to anything. Just ask Steve Martin. All right, folks, you made it to episode 16 and you conquered it. Thank you for tuning in. When you see the number 16, do you think of Joe Montana? Yeah. When you see the number 17, do you think of the name Chris Mullen? Yeah. When you see the number 18, do you think of Peyton Manning? Yeah. When you see 19, do you think of Tony Gwynn? Yeah. All right, I'm done. Um, The final message of this podcast is go to a bookstore. Go support your local bookstore and find something you'll like to read. Reading is fundamental. All right, episode 16 is in the books. I'll talk to you soon.